So good to be here. Um, just to, uh, by way of explanation of who I am, uh, first of all, uh, I am married to Debbie for 36 years, and uh, Jeff will say this, uh, I definitely married above my station, way above my station. She's an amazing wife. We've been married, as I said, for 36 years. Actually, people, when they do ask me about myself, I sort of, the, this is what I usually say is, well, I have four sisters and no brothers and five daughters and no sons. And there's a sort of expression on their face where they're sort of like computing what I've just said, where their <coughs> eyebrows go down and then they go, their eyebrows go up in shock and horror. That, uh, that's, uh, so that's, um, I don't know whether you respect me more now because of that or less or whatever. Um, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm saying that because one of them, they might listen to the tape or whatever, one of my sisters or my daughters or whatever. No, genuinely, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, actually, you know what? Alison, thank you so much for sharing what you did. That was just so wonderful. Hang on, I must get my clock going, because if I don't do this, I don't know where I am at. Um, so here we go. Yes. Um, thank you so much for sharing. I mean, that word is so full of promise, isn't it? Because, like, maybe you're feeling quite dry, spiritually or maybe you don't really know much about what's going on with this Jesus thing and yet God wants to bring life and sort of even turn a sort of like shriveled up plant into sort of bring it back to life it might take a bit of a while but God is about and that's what he does he brings life I love this time of year you know when like almost overnight like trees that were sort of like wintry and dead kind of um, were, get these buds in fact, we've been outside of Cornwall, where we live, um, and we, we were discussing earlier, you know, when we go back into Cornwall after four days away, will there be buds in the garden? You know, I, I love this time. And you know what? I felt this, God would say this to you guys. You're a new church. And someone said this to us when we were involved in planting a church like 22 years ago and uh, in Cornwall. And... I feel God reminded me of that during the worship and, uh, and I've lived with this amazingly encouraging word for sort of 22 years and I feel it's a word to you as a newish church and this bloke came up to us and he says the only explanation for what I'm going to do in Cornwall is the power of God. It's not your slick personality or your graphics, or all your kind of lovely kind of techniques of church planning, whatever. The only explanation for what I do in Cornwall is the power of God, and I think God would say this to you guys in Fairham. In the years ahead, the only explanation for what God does in this little new church is the power of God. Isn't that exciting? He's the one that brings life. He's the one who brings life where it's maybe shriveled up. He brings new buds where there's no buds. I mean, I'm really interested to know and excited to know what God's going to do amongst you guys. Because it's him that's going to do it. I mean, it's so full of excitement. It's like spring. What's he going to do? Um, anyway, let, let's just pray, shall we? And let's just be in his presence. Let's see what he's going to, what he's going to do in the next few minutes. That's what we want, because we, he's here. Let's just turn our thoughts again to Jesus. Jesus.
Jesus. There's no one like you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. Thank you that you're the rock under our feet. We have security because of you. You're the one when we're dry up, you bring life. You're the one who says you're going to build your church, Jesus. Being connected to you is everything for us, Jesus. Jesus, we invite your presence. We long for your presence. We long for what you're going to do. We just want to open our hearts. Even this morning, pour water onto any dried up plants. As you promised this morning through your words. Jesus. Will you do something quite amazing that draws attention to you, Jesus, this morning in our hearts? Build your church, Jesus. We, we can pray these sorts of prayers with utter confidence because you said that's exactly what you're going to do. Do something amazing here, but do something that has an effect right across Pharaoh. From this small gathering, do something amazing, Jesus, that the only explanation is you. Help us to be hearing what you're saying to us. Amen. I, I, I love reading through the book of Acts. And, and, I, and I love reading about how, as a church planter, which is, I mean, you're kind of a newish church plant, right? A new start, start a new church. I'm really interested about how Paul, the apostle, sort of went about planting churches. If you've ever been involved in church planting for a while, you know, you can draw so much from the way he does things. But the really, really incredible thing is that he, he kind of didn't really know what he was doing. Certain things like his travel plans often got disrupted. So there's one time where it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he tried again and again to get into Thessalonica. He'd been there before, but he really wanted to get back. And it says his travel plans were prevented by Satan prevented him. What was that like? And then in Acts 16, he tried to get into a preach in Asia. And it says the Holy Spirit forbade him. What did that look like? And then he tried to get into Bithynia, this area in, in Asia. And it says in, in Acts 16, verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus prevented him. What did that look like? So he's trying to do something, and yet it doesn't seem to work. Sometimes malevolent forces are standing in his way, Satan, but sometimes Benelephant, Jesus himself, Benelephant, he's saying, no, I don't want you to do that. I've got other plans. What that tells me is that it's a bit, it's a bit of a, like, a journey where sometimes we don't quite know where we're going to go. But like, as, as Jeff says, you know, like we take these steps. Do you know what I mean? It's like, whoa, like this. Kind of thing. I've never seen that Japanese programme. I don't watch such rubbish television like Jeff. <laughs> and then actually in Romans chapter 1, he, he, Paul states that he wants, he wants to go to Rome. He says in verse 11 that I might impart to you some spiritual gift. 
But for a long period, he didn't make it. His plans were disrupted or something prevented him from going somewhere, which in this case was Rome. What stood in his way this time? Was it Satan? Was it the spirit of Jesus? Whatever. Actually, if you read on in Romans, chapter 15 tells us, he wait, you have to wait 14 chapters to find out. He says, in verse 20, he says, I've made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So I don't want to preach where people know Jesus. I want to preach where Jesus is not known. And then two verses later, he tells them why he hasn't gone to Rome. It's because for this reason, I've been hindered from coming to you. In other words, the reason why Paul didn't go to Rome, although he says he wants to go there, and he did ultimately get there, was because the priority he had was to reach the lost and not the found. And I would say this to you as a church. I looked it up. Apparently, there's 116,000 people in Fairham. Okay, well, I mean, it was a census two years ago. I'm not going to argue with that. I don't know, you live here. But go for the lost where Christ is not known then go for the found. Spend your energies as a church plant, as a new church, reaching out where Christ is not known. I don't know how many people follow Jesus in Fairham. I have absolutely no idea. I mean, somebody might know. I don't know who, if you can even add it up. Let's say, let's say there were 3,000, okay? I mean, that might be optimistic, I don't know. 3,000 people in Fairham who know Jesus. And that would mean, considering there's 116, there's 113,000 people who don't. Go for the 113, don't go for the 3,000. Does that make sense? You know, when Jesus talked about the, the, the lost sheep, he had this sheepfold of 99 and one gets lost. So he leaves the 99 to go for the one. Actually, in the statistics of our situation in Cornwall and the statistics of the situation in Fairham, we kind of spend, so many churches spend their time thinking about the one that is in the fold than the 99 that are outside. I think with Paul, we should go for the lost and not the found. Now, I'm not saying that you ban anyone from any Christians coming into the church. I'm not saying that. But your energies are to reach the hundred and whatever thousand there are in Fairham who are without hope, who don't know Jesus. Make that your priority. Spend your energies, your money, your thinking about that, reaching the lost in Fairham and beyond, of course, not the ones who are found. You know, I think actually it's possible through... Things like good marketing, great websites, slick services, you can attract Christians. You know, you can get a reasonably sizey church. You know, you think, hey, yeah, what a successful church. But I don't see anyone saved. 
If you're going to reach the lost, however, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a good website and all that business, but you know, if you're going to reach the lost, the only way you're going to do it is through the power of God. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to reach the lost. Don't go for the easy thing, just attracting Christians. Go for the lost. That's where Jesus' heart is. He loves his church. He loves Christians. Of course he does. But he's thinking about the one sheep that's lost, or in fact, the 99. Does that make sense? As a church plant, make that your goal. Think about how you divide, you divide your energies towards those who don't know Jesus, not the ones who do. To reach the lost, you need the power of God. You're going to need to see supernatural power of God. Have you ever tried doing a miracle without God? You see, it's impossible. I mean, have you ever tried healing someone without the power of God? I mean, we can't do it, can we? We literally can't do it. That's the good thing about that, is that we have to depend on God. I don't know how many miracles you've seen in your lifetime. Some of you are Christians, I don't know, some of you might not be. Maybe you've hardly ever seen a miracle. Actually, do you know what? I saw a miracle this week. And uh, I was, I was a, the greatest miracle is when someone becomes a Christian and starts following Jesus. I mean, I, I've got five daughters, I tell you. I've got five daughters, and one of them, my middle daughter, she was wild. I don't even care if she listens. She would agree if she listens to the tape. Ruby, you know, you were. As a teenager, a wild teenager. Ruby, are you hearing me? Have you listened to the tape? Right, okay. She was wild. But on Thursday, I went to a prayer meeting in the church that she goes. And, my, and one of my other daughters was there. And I, we were just worshipping God and seeking God in this church. It's not the church, it's in Brighton. And, uh, and I was sitting next to standing next to them as we worshipped God. And, and then I just sneaked away to the side and I looked at my two daughters worshipping God, including Ruby, and I thought, that's a miracle. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, we were like, we had a mountain. You talked about mountains coming down, do you know what I mean? Like when in the worship, you know, like it, it was a mountain. We thought, how on earth is, Jesus, is Ruby? She's so, so anti-Jesus. She's so angry. She's angry with me. Well, for good reason, probably. And, you know, but like... And then she met, which it was a total miracle. The best miracles you'll ever see is when people come to faith, like our Ruby. I I think we need to keep, as your church plant, pray this prayer from Acts chapter 4. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's what they prayed. You need to pray those kinds of prayers as a church. And to, to show his approval, the house shook, didn't it? I mean, it's like God sort of shakes the house going, yes, all right. And then they did. And um, the early church, they, accurate, asked, they just prayed for miracles. Do you as a church do that? Healings. Where the only explanation is the power of God. I think you need to do that. And I say, you know, we're living in the church in the UK where there is less expectation. In, my, in where, where I see, there is less expectations for miracles than there were 20 years ago and 10 years ago. There is a drift towards more of a conservative, uh, 
kind of church where we don't really expect those sorts of things much these days. It's not New Testament Christianity. I'm concerned about what's going on in the church in the UK at the moment. And do you know what? The most, I mean, I said the most amazing miracle I've ever, ever seen. Always people get to say, but I, I've, got, I've seen a few. I'll tell you one, right, okay. I'll tell you one. This is, this, this is crazy, right? This was, it's quite a long time ago. And uh, the good thing about this miracle is it's so God and not us that the only explanation is God. So we, we had this church mission week in Woking. We came from Woking before we went down to Cornwall. And um, there was, f- was going to be this week of mission and uh, so all the church were praying, God, will you meet with the people, particularly in one part of Woking, and will you meet with people, will you just like break into their lives, you know, and we were praying like this. Anyway, and then they started the day, they started the week on a Saturday with a fun day at the park, which was near our house. And we had all these young daughters, and our little India, number two, she said um, they had one of those helium balloon things. You know those helium balloon things where, you know, you, you put your name on it, you've got a little thing, and then you set it off, and then they send it back, and the one that goes the furthest gets a prize, right? And India's going, Deb, I want, I'm Deb, Dad, I want, I want, could you, could you, um, can I have one of the helium balloons? And we're like, oh, yeah, all right, fair enough. So anyway, so she's got, and it's got Coin Church Woking on the top of the little thing that she writes on, and then she writes India Bunce, right? And uh, so she gets this balloon, she's really excited. She lets go of the balloon, it goes straight up, goes into a tree. Great. Brilliant. Well, she ain't going to win the prize, is she? That's no good. And this was in the morning, it was a lovely sunny day. And um, so and then we go home after the fun day. And the week of mission is head. You know, there's all these meetings going to happen and all this kind of stuff anyway, and evangelists and all this business. And uh, we've been praying for people, you know, and whatever. Anyway, that evening, I get a phone call from my long lost relative called Chris. And he goes, um, I've got India's balloon. Now, I haven't spoken to Chris for years, right? I don't know how he found my phone number. This is before mobile, so it's his landline. He says, I've got India's balloon. And he lives in Kettering, 100 miles away. And he says that he was sitting in his garden with his girlfriend, his new girlfriend, and out of the sky drops this balloon and lands on his girlfriend, who's sunbathing. She's sort of exposed her tummy to get a bit of tan. And out of the sky lands this balloon and lands on her tummy. And she picks it up and she goes, Coin Church Woking. And she says to my, bro- my brother-in-law, ex-brother-in-law, she says, Chris, the you used to live in Woking? And then hands this shriveled balloon with a little thing to him. And he picks it up and he goes, India Bunce. So then he thinks, I've got, to, I've got to get hold of Jeremy, because he knew that I had a daughter called India. So he rings up and he goes, I've got a balloon. I'm going, no, you haven't. What are you talking about? It got stuck in a tree. And he went, no, no, I've got the balloon. I said, you live, a, you, you live 100 miles away in Kettering. Like, and he goes, yeah, but I've got a balloon. And I'm going, no, you haven't. And he goes, well, how would I know that she set off a balloon and it's got India Bunce written on it? I was going, oh, yeah, that's true. And he said, he, he sent me a fax. So I kind of had evidence of it. He's just stuck it on his fax machine. And uh, some of you don't know what a fax machine is. Don't worry about that, don't worry. And, um, and I didn't know what to say on the phone. I'm like gobsmacked. And I said, um, Chris, God's on your case. <laughs> now, he'd really run away from God. 
And he said, I think he is. And I, he's dead now. And um, he, he was really in strength and it was really sad his life. But I know in the last few days, of the last few months of his life, he moved to Wiltshire and he started going to a church and came back to God. Do you think, what are the possibilities of that miracle happening? It wasn't just, I mean, it landed on his girlfriend's tummy. It didn't land in the hedge. It landed on her. I mean, how crazy is that? I did, I did mention this story once, and I said, who's got the, who's, is there a statistician out there who could work out the odds of that happening? Turns out there was somebody in the church who did have her, and he sort of, I got a phone call, phone call a week later, and they said, oh, there's some bloke in the church, and he's worked out it's one in 75 billion chance of that happening, which is, uh, you're 5,000 times more likely to ring the, win the jackpot in, uh, in the lottery. Well, I can't, I don't know, I'm not a statistician, but I think the odds were pretty unlikely. I mean, you know, Jesus, we were praying for people to, to meet with God for this mission, and we were thinking of people in Woking. We were not thinking about people like Chris in Kettering. But you see, God does things. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he, he, he wants to, we don't make it happen, he makes it happen. Isn't he amazing? I mean, we are involved in it, but he does the work. I don't know what you think about miracles. I love this quote from Tim Keller. He said, we modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. So miracles are the normal thing, not the extraordinary thing in the kingdom of God. So, you know, when we pray, I used to go to a posh school, right? You might not think I'm posh, but I am. I'm proper posh. And I went to a posh school and we used to have to sing or read or speak the Lord's Prayer every morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you, I never realised this when I was a little naughty little 12-year-old in this posh school with my little cap. And... Uh, while I was praying, along with everyone else, because we had to, while I was praying there, was I was praying for miracles. Your kingdom come on earth as it in heaven. I was praying for miracles. I was praying for healings. I was praying for deliverance from demons. I was praying when I, well, I don't know how much I was involved, heartfelt, but I was praying for a natural restoration of the natural order when I prayed that prayer. When... Jesus starts his ministry in Mark 1. His message is, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Like right up close. Do you know what? The kingdom of God is at hand in Pharaoh. Right up close. That's the message that Jesus taught. Into this broken world that he lived in, which we live in, the kingdom of God, the restoration of the natural order, which includes signs, miracles, healings, all that stuff, is at hand, right up close. But Jesus never just taught that the kingdom of God is at hand. He demonstrated that the kingdom of God is at hand. So in Mark chapter 1, in verse 25, he commands an evil spirit out of a man in a synagogue in Capernaum. 
Verse 31, he heals Peter's mother of a fever. In verse 34, he heals a shed load of people in various diseases and casts out many demons. In verse 39, he casts out more demons all over the Galilean region. In verse 42, he heals a leper. And that's just chapter 1 of Mark. And in chapter 1, he also starts to call some disciples around him. And he starts to teach them. Chapter three gathers them together, and he does some, and they see him performing incredible miracles, and teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then in chapter six of Mark, he sends them out in twos. These twelve, he sends them out in twos, and he tells them to preach the same message that he's preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand, but to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is at hand through signs and miracles. So in Mark 6, verse 12 and 13, so they went out and preached that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with all many who were sick and healed them. Jesus didn't just teach it, he demonstrated it. The disciples didn't just teach it, they demonstrated it. That's what we should do. And it's the same with the early church. It says in Acts 8, Crowds listened listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. The only explanation for what God does in this church is the power of God. Many churches content themselves with just teaching, but not demonstrating. That's not biblical Christianity. There's a gap, maybe. I don't know what your church experience is. Some of you might not, this might be a new church to you. It might be the first church you've ever had any encounter with. Sometimes there's a gap between our experience and what the Bible says. So we go, oh yeah, okay, so, so like we've got to see like miracles and one, and there's all oh, grief, yeah, but I don't really see a lot of that in my church experience and in my life. Do not conform the Bible to your experience. Conform your experience to the Bible. So if there's a gap between what we're talking about this morning and your own life and experience of church life and your own life, then you need to conform your life and church experience to the Bible, not bend the Bible to fit your experience. You get that, don't you? Acts, Mark 6, they send them out and they see great success. Mark 9, the disciples don't get very successful. They tried to cast out a demon out of a young boy, and they don't. They can't do it. And Jesus has to sort it out. Maybe, in your experience, maybe you prayed for the sick. And it's a bit like Mark 9 rather than Mark 6. And not much has happened. Nothing's happened. And you think, oh, we can't do it. Okay. I'm just no good. At, no, no point in doing that anymore. Yeah, actually... Those same disciples who saw success in Mark 6, didn't see success in Mark 9, went on to perform amazing miracles in the power of God. In Acts 5, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. 
No one else dared join them, even though they were highly respected by the people. Nonetheless, more and more people believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into their streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented with impure spirits. Get this. And all of them were healed. So the people who had seen no success then saw amazing success. If you've not seen much success in praying for the sick, do not give up. Those disciples didn't. Some of you might have given up. You might have given up doing sort of things that you used to do. Maybe you've seen some success in the past, but maybe you haven't seen much success recently. Maybe disappointment has robbed you and and stopped you from stepping out in faith in all sorts of ways, in praying for people, in seeing, praying for miracles, praying big prayers and miracles. Be a church that doesn't let your lack of success stop you from pressing through for more of what God says is normal Christianity. Do you got that? The kingdom of God is at hand. And in fair, I met my friend from, I come from a very conservative, I was saying to Duncan earlier, I come from a very conservative sort of church background when I was a little teenager. And, um, but one day, I wasn't even there. One day, we had a youth group meeting and it was at an elder's house and they sort of said, oh, well, you know, you split up into different, in groups of three. My mate Neil went up to, he ended up in a bathroom and uh, with this guy called Gavin and this other girl. And Gavin was really ill, right? I mean, he was proper ill. And um, uh, he had some kidney problems. He, he was going to have dialysis and all that business. I don't really know all that stuff. And uh, I wasn't there, so I didn't do it. And you know, nothing to part, part of this. And Neil reminded me that once he prayed for Gavin, Gavin hit the floor and was amazingly healed completely. I mean, like totally healed like that in a conservative <laughs> in the elders bathroom it was kind of quite an interesting you know I remember praying for a guy's ankle once and I'm not good at this stuff I I have so much to learn I I was praying for uh, Seamus he had an ankle it was so bad it had been I didn't really know this at the time but they said well there's nothing we can do about it it's broken there's nothing we can do other than fuse it this guy is in his early 30s and uh, he's all he can do is they'll just fuse it, which means he won't be able to do anything like running or whatever. And he just said, and we were in a group of meeting with, uh, with me and a few others. And they said, could you pray? Well, is anyone sick? And there were a whole load of people who sort of put their hand up. So we started praying for them. And I'd even forgotten I did this, you know. And uh, we prayed, two or three of us prayed for um, Seamus's ankle. He took actually 10 years to tell us, which I thought was a bit cheeky, really. That he was completely he ran a marathon after that he has no problem he didn't he's thanks Seamus you could have told me then at the time or maybe a week later when you found out do you know what I mean it took me 10 years um but you know I'm encouraged by that I wonder what God wants to do through you guys in Ferrum. In terms of spiritual gifts, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. That's not, I'm open to spiritual gifts. You know, if God wants to give me a prophetic word like Alison, that's fine, I'm, you know. No, 
eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Some of you may be used to in the past of prophesying, or maybe you've never done it before. Eagerly desire. That's not like being open. It's much more than just being, well, if God wants to give me a prophetic word when we meet together as a church, that's fine. You know, he can, I'm open. No, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And, you know, actually, to be honest, most time I get a prophetic word, I'll be honest, um, and I'm still learning, but most of the time I get it, I actually, because I've asked for one. Not just generally, I'm, I want to be prophetic Lord, you know, whenever you want. But actually, I'm in a situation, I'm in front of people, and I'm going to be meeting people, and I say, Jesus, would you please, I might be standing in front of them, I'm saying, Jesus, would you give me something now? Please, I'm eager about this. And he gives me it then. So I'm not just generally eager, I'm specifically eager in the situation. Because when I prophesy, or when I step out in gifts, I'm actually expressing love to that person because they might need healing. They might need an encouraging word. They might need some wisdom or whatever the gifts might be. So I'm eager. I'm not just open. I'm eager. I want to encourage you to be like that when you gather together. But you know, gifts are not just for church meetings on Sunday morning and on Thursday. They're when you go to Tesco's. So when you go to Tesco's to get your shopping, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Is there someone that you want me to meet? I know when he says, yes, could you go and give a prophetic word to that woman over there? Then you're in trouble because then you've got to go, oh, man, flip, oh, flip, I don't even know. But, like, actually do it. That's what they did in the New Testament. You're going to have to step out of faith. I remember, actually, there's one situation, right, okay. This is quite a long one, time ago. But we were walking through Newquay, where I used to live. And it was two o'clock in the morning. Don't ask why it was two o'clock in the morning. I was walking with this guy called Mike and this girl called Alison. Not you, another one. Anyway, and we're walking through. And um, we've been involved in this sort of event, okay, where, you know, evangelist event. Anyway, we're walking through the streets. And this bloke comes up to us, young bloke. And we're walking through the streets near Tolcom Beach. And he goes... Um, uh, have you got any drugs? And Alison says, no, but can I tell you about Jesus? And he goes, yeah, all right. And I'm like, I really want to go to bed. So Alison and Mike start talking to this bloke, and they're sitting on the pavement above Tolcom Beach in Newquay, start telling him about Jesus. And I have to be confessed, you know, I'm the guy who's thinking, oh, for goodness sake, it's two o'clock in the morning, I really want to go to sleep. And... Um, Anyway, they're chatting away, and Alison's particularly excited about telling this bloke about Jesus, and he's going, he loves you, and all this kind of stuff. And this guy, who happened to be called Adam, was listening to this, and he seemed kind of quite open. And, uh, and I'm sitting there on the, on the pavement thinking, oh, I'm going to bed. Anyway, after about 30 minutes, God speaks to me and says, tell Adam I'll sort his accommodation problem out. And the first thing, that when you ever get any of that sort of stuff, I'm thinking, oh no, please. One, I want to go to bed, and two, what have I got it wrong? Do you know what I mean? Like, oh dear, whatever. Anyway, there's a lull in the conversation. Alison finally closed, quietens down a bit, and I go, excuse me, your name's Adam, isn't it? Right, okay, sorry, I haven't said anything up to now, but you know, God speaks today, and he says he's going to sort out your accommodation problem. And Adam goes, how did you know I was getting kicked out of my flat tomorrow? I said, I didn't. And he goes, so what do I do? I said, oh, I don't know. He said, but he's going to sort it out. Anyway, and then Alison says, yeah, you see, God does love you. He's interested in every area of your life. 
so you should become a follower of Jesus. And he went, yeah, I'll do that. So then he, she led him to the Lord, you know what I mean? It's great. Do you know what I mean? I'm the reluctant bloke, hardly eagerly desiring, do you know what I mean? It was one of those ones where it does come like, oh, grief, yeah, all right. But like most of the time, I actually eagerly desire. Well, I don't eagerly desire enough. Does it make, make sense? Anyway. Love actually motivates us to step out in faith. And if actually we do get it wrong sometimes, it's better than not trying. And we can always mop up. And we can apologise. And we can put things in certain ways. We don't have to get all weird. We can just apologise, explain. As we give a prophetic word or whatever, we don't have to go weird. Dial down the weirdness. Just be normal as much as it's possible. But expect the power of God and step out in faith because actually God wants to use you in this room to impact people out there, the 120 to 112,000 or whatever that don't know Jesus. Let love motivate you, that you teach that the kingdom of God is near, but demonstrate that the kingdom of God is here. Some of you might be a bit like Timothy. You need to fan the flame of a gift that you've already got, okay? You know, Timothy says that he, we don't know what t- gift that, that we're talking about. Some people will guess, he probably knows, he apparently knows his Bible like backwards in Hebrew and Greek, apparently, for goodness, goodness sake. Uh, he's probably seeing massive loopholes in my genome. <laughs> no, 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 that's great. Okay, but... Uh, It says, for this reason, I remind you, Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift which is in you through the laying on of hands. Now, Timothy would have known what he was talking about. Paul knew what he was talking about. We don't know. But I tell you what, there's a lot of people I know who I know have been used by God mightily in the past, but they need to fan that flame. I don't know whether there's anybody in this room in that kind of category Fan the flame. You've got to do something. How do you fan the flame? Well, actually, it's just say, God, I'm sorry, and I'm going to step out in faith and do it again. In the end, the flame, the fire is God, isn't it? It's not you making something happen, but you just have to be participating in that process of fanning. Are there any smouldering gifts out there in this congregation this morning that need fanning into flames? I want to finish in a sec. Um, I, I, I've, I've got this um, prophetic word where I'll share it, I'll see how it goes, okay. Um, I saw this picture of a National Trust room, right, last night, and uh, it was one of those places where it's full of armour. You know, there's kind of armour there and all that kind of stuff. You've been in those sorts of places, you know. And, uh, but, you know, armour is not to be put on display gathering dust. Armour is to be worn, and um, we all are horrified by what we're seeing on the news at the moment in Ukraine. Housing blocks, hospitals, kindergartens getting blasted. And um, we've got to remember we're in a war too. A war equally as brutal what's going on in Ukraine. I'm not saying that to devalue what's going on in Ukraine. 
but there's a spiritual warfare that we're involved in and you're involved in as a church plant. You are, really, you are. You need to wake up to this. We need to wake up to this in Cornwall more and more. See, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Our enemy, the devil, is real and we need to resist him. And Ephesians 6 verse 11 says, put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I felt like it talks actually in verse 16 of Ephesians 6, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Some of you have had darts fired at you. I feel God would say this. You've had darts fired at you. Your armour wasn't on and you were vulnerable and the enemy has fired darts at you. And right now, maybe for some of you, those darts have been people saying something really insensitive and unloving towards you. And it's got in. And it's fired right into your heart. And it's really affects your walk through life, things that have really hurt. And it might have been last week or it might have been last year, or it might have been longer ago. Maybe those fiery darts, which the enemy sent, because we don't f- fight against flesh and blood, but he sometimes does use people, doesn't he, the enemy, were said by even people in the church who said things. They might have discouraged you. They might have said, maybe you stepped out in faith before and they said, you know, you really, you know put you down a bit. It was, I mean, there's right and good, encouraging, but uplifting rebukes sometimes, but sometimes in the church it doesn't always happen, does it? Sometimes some of the things we say to each other aren't motivated by love, and sometimes we can hurt one another. Let's be real, that's happened. I guess you've, many of you will have experienced that. And there's darts that have been fired up right now. Let's see in his presence, Jesus wants to say to you, I want to heal you right now and remove that poisonous dart, fiery dart. Cause you so much sleepless nights, battling. You've battled internally with resentment and anger and thoughts of retaliation or dis- or just you've just been broken by fiery darts that the enemy's fired at you to put you down, to rob you of your inheritance, rob you of who you are in Christ. And it's caused you to be, right, well, I'm just not going to put my head above the parapet anymore. You've gone backwards. You've not stepped out in faith anymore, in gifts, in all sorts of ways. You've just retired a little bit and said, I can't be at the front right now. I'm just going to, I'll be there, but I'm not going to be on the front foot. Because you've had a dart fired into you. I'm not going to ask for any hands to be raised, but if you know that, Jesus is here. And he's drawing alongside you right now. 
Where are you going to hear you right now? You remove the dots. He's encouraging you to put the armour back on. That's just been gathering dust at the side of the room. He's inviting you back into the fight where he's the victor. He's the one in control. The foe is scary, but Jesus is greater and the ultimate victor, isn't he? You might want some prayer. If you know that's you, you might want to get someone in the church or one of the elders or whatever and have some prayer. I'll happily pray with anyone at the end. Or, you know, but you might need to do that this week or something. You may need to get some prayer about that if that's, any, if that's anything from you, for you. But I just want to just say two more things very quickly. One... You need a breakthrough maybe in your life. It may be a loved one who's not walking with God right now, like our Ruby wasn't. You've got health issues or a finance issue. God is a God of miracles. The New Testament is full of them for us to read and draw and believe God for miracles in our own situation. As Alison said, sometimes these things don't happen immediately, but sometimes they do. Why don't you bring that breakthrough you need to Jesus right now? And then I'm going to just pray a very simple prayer for you all. But I'll just give you a moment. Jesus hears your heart right now. You may have battled, longed for victory in an area of your life for years. It was quite a few years. We were desperate to see a breakthrough in Ruby's life and then he did it overnight. Massive miracle. He's the God of miracles. Right now as well, you might want prayer about that as well, but why don't you just open your hands? The anointing for miracles comes from the Holy Spirit. Why don't you just open your heart and your hands? Say, come Holy Spirit, come and empower me. Come and empower us to move in signs and wonders and miracles as a church. Give us boldness. Stretch out your hands. Your hand, Lord Jesus, that mighty miracles might happen in Ferrum, in the streets, in homes, as well as when we meet this guy, these guys meet as a church. Do something amazing, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, may the only explanation for what happens in the weeks, months, and years ahead for this church be the power of God. Do something 
so incredible, Jesus, through this church. These ordinary people filled with your Holy Spirit do something utterly amazing. Cause many, many people in Fairmont who don't know you to come to know you, Jesus. Lord, why not hundreds? Why not hundreds of people over the next few years coming to know you, Jesus? Come, Holy Spirit, empower this church for the mission that you have called them to, your mission. May they experience, may this town experience the kingdom of God really is at hand. Lead them and guide them. Carry on with what you're doing. Pour out your water on dry plants. We ask all this, Jesus, so you get fame in Pharaoh and beyond. Amen.